It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Now, I know you're saying, ah, he's going to be talking about COVID all morning. Well, we have to because it's a very odd day in many ways but also what is Seamus talking about a gentleman pulls up in um, in a van maybe 15 metres away from the hut and it proceeds to just uh, sit there staring at me for maybe an hour and a half, two hours without moving or going anywhere what's going on there we'll hear that later on this morning so it's not all COVID but we are hoping to hear about guidelines for venues for pubs for nightclubs and Michal Martin told his parliamentary party meeting today or last night rather that we would get clear guidelines today we know the Opera House are unsure whether they can press ahead with gigs for the Jazz Festival Mick Flannery for example was on Instagram last night saying they're still unsure about their gig at the Opera House. He expecting to hear more today. If we hear anything solid in that regard, we'll bring it to you during the morning. I will be talking to Professor Liam Fanning, who's been very outspoken. You heard in there the news about antigen testing and about COVID passes. He reckons we're not half tough enough on the COVID passes. Labour leader Alan Kelly will join me and also a claim that there's cocaine rampant in every GAA club in the country. Yes, you heard me correctly. But all of that comes on the back of the context of we've always known that when Dr. Tony Houlihan is worried the rest of us should be a little bit worried too. Seeing a rise in cases rise in hospitalizations, admissions to ICU and unfortunately we expect and anticipate to be followed by a rise in the number of deaths that we report as a result of the impact of that change in transmission. Uh, there's no question that we have seen a drop in our collective adherence to uh, the measures and some of that relating to anticipated behaviour that might have happened over the last number of weeks uh, as people began to expect and anticipate uh, an easing of measures and easing of restrictions. 
uh, and that is in large part behind what we're now seeing uh, across the age groups, across the regions, uh, across the various settings. Have a little think for yourselves this morning before you contact us on the opinion line at 1857 Do you think we're jumping the gun a little? Or do we have to come to a point in the road where we say, right, this isn't going anywhere. So what we have to do is learn to be careful when we need to be and enjoy ourselves as best we can. Let's look at the hospital numbers. And I've been doing this for the last week and a half, and I know it's peeing people off. A lot of people are annoyed with me in high places I'm talking about now. And politically, people are annoyed with me for drawing attention to this number. I intend to continue to do it because there's been an abject failure here, as far as I'm concerned. So every day the HSE issues what it calls its... COVID-19 Daily Operations Update. And it's a publicly available document. You can find it on the website. And all the figures are in there. Who's in hospital, what hospital has what beds available, and all of that. So looking at the one that was available for last night, so published last evening around 8 o'clock, told us that the CUH presently has 28 people in hospital with COVID, of whom 9 are in ICU. The hospital has 19 general beds available. Its ICU is full. That's of last evening. The Mercy has four people in COVID, of which one is in ICU, and it has six beds available in the hospital. ICUH has one bed, ICU and the Mercy has none. So they're, they're jammed. The ICUs are jammed, not just with COVID, but Lots of sick people in both of our hospitals. Nationally, there are 15 ICU beds available as of 8 o'clock last night. Now, the figure that I've been doing for the last couple of weeks that's annoying some people is looking at the comparison between the number of available ICU beds today and the number of available ICU beds this day last year. They're all there on the HSE's daily operation update. It's a publicly available figure that anybody can find. So this morning... There's 292 fully staffed and available ICU beds in the country. Now, that is an increase of four on last week. 292 fully staffed, available ICU beds in the country. Go back to the 21st of October 2020, and that total stood at 279. So in the whole year, an additional 14 available fully staffed ICU beds. Bearing in mind we're still among the lowest in European average. We're way, way low on ICU beds provision in the public sector anyway. Public hospitals, we're way, way low. So we've got 292 this morning, four up on last week, roughly. But we're still only 14 up on this time last year. This is why they're under pressure. This is why they're worried. Uh, also, I, I do raise that point with a very special guest on the program. I've spoken a couple of times with Dr. David Nabarro. He is the World Health Organization's special envoy on the COVID-19 pandemic based in Geneva. And every so often we catch up with Dr. Nabarro on the latest situation in Ireland and indeed elsewhere. And I'll let you hear our latest conversation in just a couple of minutes. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here. Right then. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on another big weekend of Gaelic Games action. Plus, the big game in the Premier League is Manchester United versus Liverpool at Old Trafford. Right here. Right then. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. With Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right now. On Cork's 96FM. Dr. Nabarro, thank you for joining us again on the Opinion Line from Geneva. A uh, number of things to discuss with you on this occasion. As you know, we've got some changes in the country coming up this weekend. One of them is a change in our approach to antigen testing. Uh, it's been hotly debated over the last few months what place it has in our regime. There is a change. Do you believe that widespread antigen testing is something that w- that could uh, control the virus in our community by catching people that are infectious but not symptomatic. Is it a useful tool? Should we be using it more? Uh, first of all, I uh, just want to say how delighted I am to reconnect with you and uh, your listeners through 96FM. Uh, this virus isn't going away anytime soon. It's around and it's sticking in our societies. And uh, humanity is working out how to live with the virus. But we can't, as individuals, do it on our own. We need to be helped, helped through the use of different devices and and, uh, prevention as well as treatment. Uh, We also need to be helped by the organisation of public health services at county level and nationally. And and we need to know what's going on. Now, the one advantage of so-called antigen testing is it gives us a quick way to try to find out who's got the virus and and how it's progressing. And so I'm really in favour, along with all my colleagues in the World Health Organization, with anything that enables individuals to have a better idea what's going on with regard to this virus. These what are called antigen tests, which means they're tests that pick up fragments of the virus that are inside body secretions. A great thing about them is that they are quick to use and easy to use. Uh, The difficulty about them is they don't always pick up everybody who's got the virus. You get a thing called false negatives occurring Mm. with them. And so you can't be 100% sure that they're telling you uh, the absolute precision as to what's going on. But they're super useful for giving you a, a rough picture, telling you where the surges of virus are building up and also telling you, more importantly, where they're coming down. So within the WHO, we see value in enabling people to use these tests. But at the same time, as always, we need to be clear what are their benefits and what are their limitations. And so, yes, please let's advance their use But yes, please, let's be aware that like many things in COVID, it doesn't give you the full answer. It just gives you a pretty good clue. They're a good parallel to have with 
PCR testing. I think that my children, for example, uh, actually have stocks of these at home and they use them very, very quickly, actually to pick up whether they might have COVID uh, if they're doing uh, work or social visits. And, and they've convinced me that this is a transformative thing to have in your home. Now, after the winter, we would hope that the pandemic might start subsiding in our part of the world, at least. Then, of course, you have the strains that will be on the health system by people who suffered long-term damage, as some of them might not even know about it. Do do you think that is going to become a problem? Well, uh, you've picked it up, really. Out of 20 people who get COVID, we can be pretty sure that one or two of them will actually stay sick for weeks, even months. I'm sure there are listeners who are going to be saying, yeah, that's me. Mm -hmm. Things haven't worked right since I had my COVID. My brain feels mushy or I get short of breath or I get chest pain. And um, I just want to say this is real. And what happens is the virus actually scars some of the tissue in the body and it's that scarring that leads to, to long-term problems. And they go down over time, but they do stick around for some months. So I'm going to say, yes, there will be a lot of long COVID all over the world. And uh, it's going to be around one in 20. And there may be people who, with their long COVID, have quite a lot of mental distress and just don't feel good about themselves and about their their family situations or their workplaces. So in summary, I would say, let's all be understanding of the fact that this COVID has long-term challenges for many people and just be tolerant. And, And it's tricky because these people will also not feel good about themselves. So we need to be not only understanding of the fact that their their performance may be affected for a bit, but also a really sympathetic and empathetic even more uh, to the fact that they'll be feeling rotten about it. So yes, that's work for the autumn. Could there be those who don't even know they have that damage just yet? Totally. Totally. I mean, I think that applies to all of us that, that we we don't know because we don't know whether it's just feeling out of sorts after the illness or whether there's actually some scarring. And also, we won't always find it out because uh, in in many parts of the world, health services have huge queues of people needing to get attention. And the ones who are seriously ill get the front of the queue. And so it may be quite some time before you can get seen by a specialist to find out whether the headaches you're suffering or whether the shortness of breath you're suffering or whether the chest pain you're suffering seems to be related to any tissue scarring. So yes, you may not know it. This would normally be a busy time of the year for the WHO, Dr. Nabarro, in preparing for what you might call traditional flu season. That's going to be an added complication this year, all over the Northern Hemisphere in particular, isn't it? Yep. I've just got here my little form saying, make sure you get yourself vaccinated for flu this season. It's more important than usual. Hospitals are already uh, very, very full and they may not be able to deal with the extra load. And also the last thing anybody wants is to get flu and COVID coming together. It won't be very nice. So I'm saying to everybody, even more than I normally say, please get your flu jab. They are really good, these flu jabs, at reducing the risk 
of severe flu illness. Flu and COVID are different. They're caused by different viruses and it just makes really good sense to take advantage of it. I don't know how easy it is to get a flu jab in Ireland, but uh, if you get a chance, please take it. Mm. Well, thankfully, it's quite freely available for for most people that want one. We have a concern, and we've discussed it on this programme widely, Dr Navarro, that some of the protective effect of the COVID vaccines may be fading or waning, and there's a lot of discussion of boosters, third shots, particularly for people who had an AstraZeneca or a Johnson & Johnson maybe six months ago. Should we be looking at that? Is that a concern? Absolutely. I just want to be clear on this, that many of the vaccines that are used in public health only offer protection over a period of time. That very rarely do we have vaccines that offer a protection for life. Hmm. Not everybody has the same response to a vaccine. You might have a strong response that lasts for two years. I might have a strong response that only lasts for six months. You can't tell just by looking at us how long the duration of our responses will be. But one thing we do know is that as people get older, the duration of the protection tends to be shorter. Now, that means that the idea of regular top-ups of protection uh, is, is a sensible one. And it won't just be once, it will probably be at intervals. Some people are telling me they think it will be two years, the recommended interval. Others are saying they're going for one year. Hmm. Either way, we must expect that. Now, Uh, There is a lot of questioning about whether or not we should use the same vaccine for the first two shots that you normally get and then a different vaccine for the boosters. And yeah, there's some clever ideas coming on that as well, because the idea idea leads to the hope that each different vaccine you get gives you a slightly different spectrum of antibodies and taken together, that gives you extra protection. So please expect boosters if you're uh, in the sort of older part of the community and particularly somebody like me above 70, please take your booster. And if the authorities recommend a different vaccine for your booster from the original immunisation you had, please accept what your authorities say. They will have looked into this very carefully and there are some very useful ideas emerging about mixing the vaccines. I hope that's clear. I think it's important. Thank you. Uh, lastly, Dr. Nabarro, we, we, we have had pressure on our ICUs of late. Um, we are short of ICU beds in our public system, adult and especially juvenile uh, ICU beds in our public system, at the same time that we are preparing to lift some restrictions. What is the most prudent behaviour at the moment, do you think? Thank you. In dealing with a disease like this, we often change instructions and requests to the population depending on what the pattern of disease is like in the community. Typically, as the numbers of cases come down, so there is a relaxation in some of the rules about 
social mixing and also about whether or not to wear masks and other forms of facial protection. But I'm one of the people who will say to you and to the listeners, just err on the side of caution. There's no need to be rushing to throw away the masks or to go up close and hugging people in the pub or in the sports event or at work. Actually, continuing to be careful about that rule of between one and two meters apart from each other wherever possible, continuing to wear face protection, especially when a lot of people are crowded together, continuing always to wash our hands often to reduce the risk of transmitting the virus, continuing to protect people with, with extreme needs, people with diabetes, people with heart disease, older people, mm. disabled people, just keep it up. There's nothing to be gained by stopping it quickly. Uh, some people say we've got to do it because of our freedom. And I will say, I understand that. But I'm also going to say, even when your numbers come down, this cunning virus is quite capable of picking back up again super fast, causing all sorts of problems, usually quite localised, and you don't want that to happen. So to the citizens of Cork and nearby counties listening to 96FM, I want to say I, as an individual knowing a bit about public health, I'm going to keep being careful for a pretty long time because I think that's what we need to do. And if we are all careful, following the rules that we set some time ago, without being all fussy and aggressive about it to each other or to those we don't know, then I think we will contribute to a safer community and a safer Ireland. Dr. Navarro, I hope we shall speak again sometime soon on The Opinion Line. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks a lot. Best wishes to all. Dr. David Nabarro from the World Health Organization speaking to me there last evening. 1850-715-996 to go through the numbers one more time because of the importance of the ICU situation. In Cork at the moment, there are 10 people in ICU with COVID-19. Our ICUs are quite full. There's one bed available at the Mercy. I'll beg your pardon, that's UH. There are none at the Mercy. That's according to the HSE's own figures of last evening. There are 25 general beds available between the two hospitals. CUH currently has 28 people in hospital with COVID, of whom nine are in the ICU. There's four people in the Mercy, one of them in the ICU, and there are only 15 ICU beds available nationally. Let me bring in uh, Professor Liam Fanning from the Department of Immunovirology at UCC to discuss this this and a few other things and arising out of my conversation with uh, David Devaro. Liam, good morning again. Good morning, PJ. Let me focus first of all on the hospital numbers. They're getting very, very tight. Uh, they are indeed, and I suppose, you know, uh, really what goes on in the hospitals is really only a mirror of what's going on in society in general with respect to the amount of COVID-19 that's out there. So, you know, 
Uh, and this, look, this, you can't turn the ship around with respect to the kind of number of ICU beds um, and hospital capacity, even over the course of 20 months um, in the pandemic when we have all amount of resources um, kind of given to the health service to try and manage this. You can't turn the ship around. The ship around takes, you know, it's going to take quite a number of years to provide a hospital capacity. Um, even if we had advance warning of a pandemic, uh, you know, that there's going to be one in five to seven years' time, I, I, I think we'd kind of, you know, we'd struggle to kind of get the number of consultants and support staff uh, and number of beds mm. to kind of allow us to uh, manage it such that these numbers would not be a news item. You know, I think we're kind of quite a bit away that from our hospital infrastructure perspective. Which is unfortunate, um, I guess, but yeah. Well, that's the reality, and I suppose what we've got to remember is all these numbers. It's not so much the numbers of infected individuals that really um, is of concern. It's actually our incapacity of the hospital to deal with uh, much beyond what it ordinarily does, considering it works at between, you know, 90 plus percent most of the time anyway. So when, when, you know, uh, individuals comment that they're concerned about the numbers of viral infections, really what they're actually reflecting actually is the incapacity of the hospital uh, to deal with any sort of a surge really uh, from a, a public health perspective, COVID being one of them. Mm. Neffed had their first briefing yesterday for quite some time. Dr. Hulerhan and Professor Nolan, they're nervous, but, but they're not, they're not p- p- forecasting doom and gloom just yet, but we have to be very, ca- very careful at the moment. We do, but I, I feel the focus uh, that the language is misdirected, uh, really. I mean, if you take the figures, we have 40% of the 12 to 15-year-olds not vaccinated. We have 20% of the 18 to 30-year-olds not vaccinated. That amounts to 300,000. And if you take the population of a whole, we have another approximately 900,000 who are less than 12 years of age, right? That's 1.2 million people altogether. Um, and that's why, you know, when the figures are, are, are read out, PJ, that we have over 90% of the 16-year-olds and close to 90% of the over 12-year-olds, you know, there is still, uh, if you look at it, um, quite a number of individuals who can't be vaccinated under 12 because that the EMA hasn't given that approval yet. But there is a very large body of individuals between 12 and 30, um, uh, you know, who who should be vaccinated. Um, we don't have mandatory vaccination, although, you know, I mean, I think the, the, the situation from a societal perspective um, is getting to a point where, you know, I think we need some uh, language around, uh, you know, the scope for mandatory vaccinations because, you know, as a society, we can't... I mean, I know that's an uncomfortable conversation to have, mm-hmm. but um, we cannot continue um, with this... Um, threat of having a hospital system overwhelmed. Uh, the, the arguments as to why we have a hospital system is overwhelmed are actually different. You know, but we can continue to use you know, uh, mitigation measures of reducing social contact to protect the hospital systems. You know, we have a vaccine or set of vaccines that are particularly effective um, and you know, I think we're going to have to follow the French model. Uh, unpleasant and all as this might sound is making it very difficult um, for individuals who are not vaccinated um, to to uh, participate in any form uh, of social engagement. Um, you know, over 12s all should have to present COVID certs um, going anywhere. And, I, and I, I know this sounds harsh too, PJ, but, mm-hmm. you know, maybe your 14-year-old who wants to go out to McDonald's with uh, his or her friends, um, you know, that if mum and dad have decided that they're not to get the vaccine, well, then perhaps they can't win to McDonald's. You know, I think we need that level of, um, um, how do I call it, You'll have the you'll have the civil rights brigade wetting their trousers, Liam, when you talk like that. 
But, but, but PJ, we're in a situation where people are, you know, elective procedures are being cancelled because you've read out the figures that there's no need to go read them again. But we know that there's lots of people taking up uh, beds who are unvaccinated. And these vaccines give you extremely good protection against hospitalisation and serious illness. We now have the rollout of the booster campaign to the over 60 year uh, roles. I hope that happens really fast. But mm. what I'd really like to see as well is all the healthcare workers um, vaccinated and also anybody who's vaccinated um, at l- over six months of age and who have not been vaccinated and had COVID as well. They, they, those individuals don't really need a booster shot. Uh, but individuals who are over six months of age, the healthcare workers and really anybody, um, you know, because we know, okay, I know uh, Nayak have been, um, uh, how would I say it, they've been they've deliberated long um, on, on what they before they have made any um, new assessment as to who's been vaccinated or boosters um, but what we do know is that uh, from the Israeli data yeah. um, that those over 60 who got the third shot there was a, over an 11 fold reduction in infections and that's not percent reduction that's fold that means for every 100 infections that they had previously that there was actually less than 10 Wow. infections when they got the third shot. So this is not percent, this is fold. And, and that shot, will... Liam, how quickly does that take effect? Because we know that our body has to learn. Well, you know, the booster shot will actually kick in very quickly because remember, you're preloaded already, you know, you're locked and loaded already with respect to kind of an Im- immune arsenal. And so what you're really doing is kind of, you know, g- g- given that the, 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 like the TDI booster version uh, of a diesel car and you're, you know, you're, you're ramping it up again. And, uh, you know, it is looking like that this booster, sorry, that this uh, first generation vaccines are three shot vaccines for most individuals. You know, I mean, we don't need to wait until we have the tsunami or, we, you know, uh, of more cases and then kind of turning on. Well, actually, now we need to uh, vaccinate the healthcare workers and perhaps maybe the over 40s are those that are, uh, have six months, uh, more than six months since their second shot or, or J&J for one shot. Do you know what I mean? We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We have the tools. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to have some, you know, we all, we, we, we can, we, we can, what we can, the risks associated with vaccination can be delivered to us and we've made our assessment many individuals have chosen not to roll the dice and uh, you know with regard to getting COVID or not getting COVID um, and you know the, 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 we've gone through this before PJ the approval mechanism while it might have seemed as been rapid did not cut any corners with respect to the safety and efficacy of these vaccines yes. um, and you know we can't have the unvaccinated tail wagging the vaccinated dog we just cannot I know you know this is a this is a difficult conversation for people to hear PJ but like you know there is a social responsibility on individuals um, to themselves and each other um, now we can adapt a system if somebody for medical reasons and there are very few of them um, mm. who can't get the vaccine their vaccine certs can be they can be given a vaccine cert I can't see why you know um, some Mandarin uh, wherever whoever's controlling the apps respect to kind of the delivery of the of the vaccine uh, cert when you put in your details can't have it such that it's modified such that you know a verified legitimate medical exemption which is which is rare but does exist isn't that right Correct. It's small, but but let's you know. So I suppose let's focus on what we can achieve uh, rather than you know. So what we can achieve is we can make life 
unfortunately difficult for individuals who are unvaccinated. Now, look, that's not a popular thing to say, um, and I'm here more out of virological, immunological and individual concern that we are going to end up uh, with a Christmas um, that will be less than what it could be um, if we do not get our act together with respect to getting everybody vaccinated. We do know these vaccines give us great protection. We also know that vaccinated individuals can pick up this infection, but we also know that vaccinated individuals, when they pick up this infection, um, have less of uh, less serious consequences, and they too can pass it on. Okay. So the less, if you like, of the barren field that's there for this virus to kind of grow in unvaccinated individuals, the less it will seed into the vaccinated individuals, the less that will feed into the hospitals. This is, like, you know, this is like a game of dominoes. Do you know what I mean? You're, I you're do. kind of, I do. if you interrupt it, then the last. Uh, brick standing, which is the hospitals, won't fall. Or now, you know, we do have the surge capacity of the private hospitals. Um, uh, but um, uh, I, like, I would ask every unvaccinated individual seriously look into their soul and say, why am I not doing this? Because I mean, really, you know, we can't, we, we can't have society ruined for Christmas as a result of a large cohort of individuals who choose and, and look if, uh, not to get vaccinated. And if the numbers are still high, you know, NIAC will have to consider the value of a general population-wide booster vaccine. You know, I mean, yeah. they'll say we need to wait for the data. We, look, we're, our ship is a little bit behind that of Israel. As you say, data the, the, the data in Israel speaks for itself at this it, stage. It, it, but it's also very large and very robust. That data on the over 60-year-olds and the, the 11.3-fold uh, reduction in infections in that age group when they got the third shot is out weeks. Yeah. You know, now, so I, I, we have this kind of reactive um, emergency management um, that that seems to, and look 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 I I know some of the people on IAC and they're they're uh, and they're wonderful professionals but you know I, I'm getting a little frustrated that we kind of are waiting for the kind of you know for for us to hit the buffers and then say well look we'll we'll do this you know yeah. we have a hospital system that has healthcare workers that you know uh, suffered long and large with respect to picking up COVID um, in the first part of it now they're not the same because they're largely vaccinated um, but you know give them that I, I, I you know offer them the boost and let them make their own judgment with respect to whether the risk profile suits them rather than having this block on uh, having uh, access to these wonderful medicines. I mean, they really are like truly wonderful given where the WHO set its initial guidelines for what these vaccines should achieve. They have exceeded it. Yeah. Let me talk about the WHO. You might have heard me speaking with uh, Dr. Nabara there before you came on. I only had uh, your clothes there, PJ. That's yeah, all we're Well, he... Very enthusiastic is the word I'd use about antigen testing. He even re- remarked to me that his own children now self-test. Are we? Are we? Are we have we got to get get into the era era of self-testing with antigen? Oh, the, the 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 road to Damascus uh, was long, but the road to and acceptance of antigen testing is even longer uh, when it comes to, we'll say, officialdom in Ireland. And I think the population, not at large, but some of the population are very much ahead of them. I think the unfortunate comments such as snake oil and the deliberate kind of, we'll say, you know, mixing of antigen tests with soda or a soft drink and saying that people will misuse these to try and kind of, you know, get a result that suits their particular circumstances. Um, and the ongoing kind of negative narrative um, from uh, officialdom has, has, has done some harm with respect to the kind of acceptance of some individuals um, of antigen testing. But look, look, let's say it this way, PJ. You know, Europe is using these. We know from, you know, really good data 
that antigen tests will pick up about 80 to 90% of those individuals that are infectious. Look, let's call a spade a spade. It won't pick up every infection. PCR will pick up little bits of the virus, large bits of the virus. But when you get your PCR result, you are not told whether you have a CT value less than 25, which means you're likely to be highly infectious. That's a bit complicated No, I know that, but it's like a measure. It's it's a measure, and, you know, we know that individuals who are 25 or less have lots of virus and those that have this value 25 or more have less of it and are less likely to be infectious and with delta we know that it's very infectious in indoor unventilated settings you know what i mean so Mm. Uh, antigen tests have a great role in kind of you know at least cutting down on transmission you know what i mean you know 80 to 90 percent is not a bad catch rate for kind of um um uh, individuals who are infectious pj okay for no reason other than time, I'm going to wrap it there because I have a few more things to get through, but I do appreciate it as always. Professor Liam Fanning, Professor of Immunovirology at UCC on The Opinion Line. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You can do it on your phone. Wow, okay, easy. You can do it with your housemate. Mmm, this is actually fun. You can even do it in bed. Well, that didn't take long. Do the Monster Music Survey at 96fm.ie and you could win cash. Cash. Listen to the tunes, tell us what you think and be in to win €1,000. €1,000. The Monster Music Survey. Do it now at 96fm.ie. Joined on the opinion line now by leader of the Labour Party, Alan Kelly. Uh, Alan, just on the present situation, the crisis in ICU... It's upon us again. Good morning. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me, PJ. It's great to be back in Cork. Um, I've been here for yesterday and today going around with Councillor John Mayer and uh, and colleagues. Um, the situation uh, in ICU across a number of places across the country is at, uh, you know, an, an awful situation. Um, I know I hear about it all the time. Um, you know, obviously, uh, from... Uh, um, you know, from a public point of view, there's deep concern across many, many different ICUs across the country. Mm. And it's not just in Cork, it's in Limerick, it's in Galway, it's in a number of locations uh, in Dublin. And really it's due to uh, the fact that obviously we have uh, a number of people now who are in a serious situation with COVID. Um, there are, um, you know, unfortunately there are people still getting into fairly serious difficulties because yeah. of COVID. And on top of that, obviously you have all the other uh, issues that uh, come, uh, particularly mm. increased during winter time, as we all know. Yeah, as uh, well, it is so fair to say that successive governments have, have failed to increase the amount of ICU beds properly, uh, including uh, ones of which you were a member. But PJ, PJ, I'm not here to disagree with you on that yeah, at all. I, I know you're not. I just want to. I, I know it's worth pointing out. Though. No, you, you, you're, you're actually have been meeting some people about the disproportionate effect on women of the pandemic in Cork. Yeah, um, I met uh, yesterday with uh, a number of different people um, who have uh, done a huge amount of work, Linda Kelly, and I'm also with with Neve uh, yesterday as well. The um, situation as regards uh, women and how they've been impacted by the uh, pandemic is uh, incredible. Uh, We need to really sit down and think about this a lot more. We all know about the fight uh, that so many women across Ireland have, and Linda Kelly has led this from Cork and Fair Play to her in relation to um, maternity restrictions. 
restrictions and there was good news last night as regards visiting for partners and may I say congratulations to Peter Horgan and Celine on the birth of Theo recently he's our rep in Southside and he was one of the first one of the first people uh, to be allowed in That's right. um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a new father so congratulations to them but it's broader than that PJ I mean women take on the role in many cases of being carers uh, when it comes to home health they are 90% of them are women uh, when it comes to working in healthcare majoritarily by far particularly in nursing is women when it comes to education women and all, they've all had to deal with many many cases the, the extra burdens as regards childcare as regards additional issues as regards looking after people and we really need to sit down as a nation uh, and think about the long-term impact this has had on uh, women across Ireland. Uh, because disproportionately as regards the impact on their daily lives, looking after children, looking after people who have been sick or elderly, they have been more impacted than mm-hmm. men. That's just a fact. And we need to think about that. There's issues here, psychological issues, issues here in relation to um, you know, physical health issues. There's a whole range of other issues as well. And really sitting down with a number of people over the last uh, couple mm-hmm. of days, it's really been impacted on me. So how we do we prepare to address it when the pandemic is eventually over, Helen? Well, you know, the pandemic will drift. I, I'm not sure we'll have an end date in the near future, as PJ. I don't think it, it'll work like that. I think it'll no, no. go on, but we will we will come out of it. Um, but I, I think the way in which it, we need to address the, the issues that have come up, uh, for instance, I'll give you one example. Um, I fight all the time for home help hours for people. Um, it's a big issue uh, around Cork. Uh, John Marr, his own family work in this space and they've been telling me all about it, but we can't get enough people. We can't get enough hours. And the real reason why is because many of them, most of them are women, they're burnt out. There needs to be a registered employment agreement whereby people who are working in this sector get a fair wage. They get a minimum amount of hours. In other words, you're not getting 15 minutes here and 15 mm. minutes there. So it's a set amount of hours with a registered employment agreement with uh, an amount of uh, pay per hour so that it's attractive enough for people and so that we show that we respect them. We also need to ensure that we have enough, uh, I suppose, you know, aftercare when this pandemic is over um, in relation to a whole range of different sectors so that we can, you know, work through with them what's after happening over the last two years because I certainly believe that, you know, from a psychological point of view, we need to make some moves in that space okay. as well because I see it in my everyday life. Okay, I want to catch up on the medical situation, Alan, so I'll leave it there with you for today, but we will speak again, I've no doubt. Alan Kelly, leader of the Labour Party visiting Cork at the moment. Uh, thank you. 1850 I hope to get an update just before 10 as we speak, my husband is on his way into City Hall for a booster shot. The doctor notified him four days ago with an appointment, so they are underway. That's very, very good to hear. And then we're both double jabbed, says Dennis, went out twice to the restaurant and the cinema. I got covid All the money allocated to roads should now be allocated to hospitals. We have a pathetic hospital capacity and this is a war. COVID will find the weak points. We'll all be crying if this overwhelms our hospital. We can live without the roads. We're on a knife edge, even compared to other countries with this virus. I'm recovering, but I was amazed that I got it. Thank you, Dennis, for that. Let me go to Dr. Nuala O'Connor, who's a GP uh, here in Cork and has been with me before. She's the Irish... College of General Practitioners lead on COVID-19. I did the numbers for ICU this morning, Nula, and they are very tight. What happens when the ICU numbers and the hospital bed numbers in general get tight? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, well, the difficulty is is uh, when the hospital numbers get very tight, in particular ICU, you have to think about who cannot 
get access to an, an ICU bed because uh, they're fully occupied. So if a young person perhaps is involved in a serious road traffic accident, there may not be an ICU bed for them. If uh, a somebody who has a, a bleed into their brain, an, an aneurysm, there might not be um, access for them. Uh, we have to um, defer uh, cancer operations, lar- you know, operations maybe on, you, you heard of people having sort of an aneurysm in their stomach, an aortic aneurysm. That's something uh, which you, you need intensive care bed capacity afterwards. So uh, when we don't have um, intensive care capacity, it has a knock on effect on things other than COVID within the community. And similarly with beds, because we're heading into the winter, as I mean, anyone out there knows, there's a huge amount of respiratory tract infections out there, not just COVID. A lot of our people who have chronic lung disease, um, uh, you know, this is the time of year or bad asthmatics, the time of year, all the other viruses are circulating Mm. and they need access uh, to beds along with all the normal you know, yeah. So many things that, that people end up having to have access mm. to uh, acute hospital care. Nor- normal normal hospital care is what suffers. Nula, how nervous are yourself and your GP colleagues uh, at the present time, given particularly the strange problem we have in Ireland that we have such a high vaccination level and yet such a high infection level at the same time? Well, I think we need to tease that out a tiny bit, PJ, because, yes, we have done extremely well if you compare us worldwide or European-wise with the uptake of vaccination. But this the only way you can actually truly stop um, an infection or a virus spreading within the community is if you can develop herd immunity. And for herd immunity, you need to have 95% of the population vaccinated. And you need to have them vaccinated with a vaccine that's extremely effective, both at preventing um, somebody getting infected or preventing serious disease. So if you look at it, we have um, just over 800,000 children under 12 in this country, and they're ineligible for vaccination. We have um, about 288,000 adults aged over 18 who are eligible for vaccination and have not come forward for vaccination. And within that group, there's about 46,000 who've had one dose and haven't come forward for their second dose. And then we have a vaccine that's a really, really good vaccine. It's really good at preventing severe disease, hospitalisation and death. But it's not as good as we had hoped in stopping you picking up a milder infection. So the criteria are not there to enable us with through vaccination alone to stop this spreading in the community. And that's why it's so important that we rely on all the other measures, the non-vaccine measures, us all being careful about uh, avoiding, I've heard me talk about it so much, about mm. um, crowded, poorly ventilated indoor spaces. You walk in somewhere, they haven't asked you for a COVID pass, you go in, this doesn't look right, there seem to be too many people inside here, I'm not so happy, I don't feel safe, you turn around and you walk away. Mm. Lastly, and very briefly, Nula, are you worried then about the prospect of opening up over this weekend? 
I think we have to move forward, PJ, and I mm. think that the government have made some very sensible decisions here. Um, we have to get, you know, there are many um, parts of a hospitality industry have been closed for a long time. We have a huge amount of people who have actually got vaccinated, who have complied with everything. And I think, you know, we all need to be allowed to move forward and get greater freedoms. Um, but we all need to be careful. And I think personal responsibility is really important okay. here. Please encourage people, get your get your vaccination, you know, talk to any of your friends in your circle. Try to, to find out, you know, and steer them towards, um, you know, trying to allay what their fears are about it. Please, people, get their flu vaccine, get their pneumonia vaccine, children's flu vaccine for the yeah. 2 to 17-year-olds. Let's, let's use all of the, the, the weapons we have in our arsenal, as, as they Abs- say. Absolutely. Right. Yes, I'm going to leave absolutely. it there, Nuala, for no reason other than time. It's been a really busy first hour. Thank you for being with us. That's Dr Nuala O'Connor. She's the Irish Council General Practitioner's lead on COVID-19 and a Cork GP. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There wouldn't be a whole pile of love in the room for Alan Kelly. But look, he'd be a guest on the programme from time to time. Alan Kelly is the last person to give advice on anything. Remember the water charges fiasco says one call then please remind Alan Kelly the majority of lone parents pushed into poverty by his party's savage cuts there were women too says Claire thank you Claire 1850 with regard to uh, just something that's come up other than Covid hiya just testing and texting to highlight the fireworks around the place is there anything can be done with them scumbags the dogs are rattled from the fireworks it's a joke what about the elderly? It's all a disgrace. And we've heard a lot of people talking about fireworks. It's an ad running about fireworks at the moment. Halloween is next week. I mean, they are illegal. You're not supposed to have them, or buy them or use them. But Halloween isn't even until next week. So they're out there. Now, lots of COVID-related stuff. John's COVID says, COVID is not the reason, says John. The hospitals are full. They're like that for the last 30 years. Plenty of empty beds in private hospitals use them. Well, that's true. There are surge capacity available to them in the private hospitals. But when you do that then, as we discovered in the early part of the pandemic, it was great to get access to all these beds. But when you're using them then, someone who's waiting for surgery in a private hospital, they get bumped down the, the, the line. We just don't have enough, simple. Caller says, when talking extra ICU beds, it's important to explain it's not just about wheeling in more beds. Each bed needs to be manned by a number of specially trained people. And the issue here, apparently, is all over the world, it's not easy to source the numbers of specially trained ICU staff. I'm just saying this because I hear too many thinking it's just a matter of adding a bed. Each ICU bed needs specialised, often customised equipment. And you are 100% correct. And any senior medic that has heard me talking about this has said, you're completely right on the numbers. Our problem is the staff. We don't have the staff. We can't get the staff. We can't keep the staff. The staff are leaving in droves. Our nurses and doctors are running ICUs and our nurses and doctors are working in emergency medicine all over the world. 
Why aren't they here is the question that needs asking. 1850-715-996. Lots more coming up on the programme besides COVID. Like, what is Seamus talking about here? A gentleman pulls up in, um, in a van, maybe 15 metres away from the hut, and it proceeds to just uh, sit there staring at me for maybe an hour and a half, two hours, without moving or going anywhere. We'll catch up with that one a bit later on. What is he talking about? 1850-715-996. Lorraine Spillane, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. How's Harry? Harry is absolutely fantastic. Good, good. He's responding to his treatments and stuff. He is, he is. He's, he's, you know what, he's just amazing. He's just kind of one of these little boys that's so happy and so content, mm. despite having a lot going on in the background. Tell us about his condition. It's called tyrosinemia type 1, if I'm saying that correctly. You are, you are indeed. Um, basically, Harry was born with a very rare metabolic condition, as you said, tyrosinemia type 1. And it basically means that he is missing an enzyme to break down protein. So protein is like poison to Harry. And as you know, protein is in absolutely most foods these days. So Harry is on lifelong medication to prevent damage to his brain, his liver, kidneys. And he gets his protein source from a synthetic drink that he drinks um, three times a day. So he's effectively allergic to most modern foods. Um, Well, yes, in the sense that he could never, his system would never cope with the high protein foods like the meat, the fish, the chicken, the eggs, the dairy. So he is on a low protein diet and basically his body will only be able to break down very, very small amounts of natural low protein foods that I would literally have to weigh out and measure and count for him every day. But then he gets his, he can have what, what are called free foods, which are like the, the fruits and the vegetables that mm. don't contain any protein. Mm. But then for him to grow and develop normally, yes. he drinks a synthetic form of protein. Right. So that's specifically for his condition. Because we all, need, he, we all need the benefits of protein in our, in our diet. And when he can't have it, he's got to get that benefit from someplace else. Absolutely. Wow. So he follows a plant-based diet as well as drinking his synthetic um, type of protein. And then he's on various supplements to help him grow and develop. And then he takes lifelong medication um, twice daily to prevent then any damage to the organs. It's tough when you're six and all your friends lo- love going to parties and having party food and stuff, isn't it? Well, it is. But, you know, I suppose he's... I won't say that he's, you know, that it's used to it. It, it is his normal yeah. So he's just, and you know what I have to say, he's just an absolutely fantastic kid because, you know, sometimes like that in the early stages, I suppose I avoided the birthday parties because I didn't feel it was fair to him to put him in a situation where he actually couldn't understand that he couldn't have these foods. Mm. And why would you put that, I suppose, in front of a child Whereas now he's actually, you know, I suppose really when he started school, that put him into an environment where, you know, he's looking at other kids' lunchboxes and then he's looking at his own lunchbox. So he understands, Mm. but he's actually extremely compliant. And I suppose like that, you know, when it comes to kind of events or family celebrations, 
for us as a family, it's about the the occasion as opposed to I don't create a huge emphasis on the food. And I don't focus too much on what Harry can't have. It would really be about what he can have. Right. And there are plenty of things that exactly. You've probably got your own your own list and I'd be amazed by the length of it, I guess, if you were to read it out to me. (laughs) I imagine I would. Completely. Lorraine Tell me about the book because yourself and and Kevin working with Harry over the years has inspired a book, Mom on the Run. Explain. That's right. That's right. I suppose um when when Harry was born, I suppose, you know, it did throw this massive curveball at us. It was this unexpected challenge. We had two other kids and, you know, two boys, perfectly healthy boys. And when Harry was born and it was a third boy, I was thinking to myself in my naivety, sure, this is a walk in a park. I have two other boys, you know, another one isn't going to make any difference. And lo and behold, we weren't expecting him to be born with this rare condition. So obviously there were a lot of lifestyle changes that had to be made and we had to get to grips with his con- managing his condition and, you know, endless trips to Temple Street and embrace a new normal. And I suppose I remember, you know, I, I, to get me through those tough times, I suppose I, 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 I have, I suppose, always had a positive outlook and I definitely attribute that to something that my mum passed on and instilled in all of us. You know, she really um, kind of instilled that self-belief and positive outlook mm. um, when we were kids growing up. And I definitely think that that helped me. And I used to be doodling a lot, you know, with kind of positive thoughts and quotes and things like that. And <clears throat> I remember my husband, Kevin, saying to me one day, he said, uh, he said, are you going to do anything with, with, with all those notes you're jotting down? And I said... Uh, I, I said, I, I, I don't know. I said, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And he said, I think you should write a book. And I looked at him and I laughed and I said, yeah, maybe I will. And I kind of, you know, laughed and shrugged it off. And then I kind of, you know, it started kind of stuck in my mind. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I will. So I started taking it a little bit more seriously and I started writing down all my thoughts and then I decided to put it all together and I wanted to do something for Temple Street because anybody that has experience with any children's hospital or Temple Street will understand how amazing they actually are. Mm. So I wanted to, to do something for them and also for Harry. So I put together this little book, Mum on the Run, and all the profits go to Temple Street. And I suppose what the book I wanted it to be was something informal that you could pick up, you could flick through it, yeah. you might stumble across a favorite quote or a thought of the day, or maybe just kind of maybe a a thought or a bit of wisdom that I want to share that helped us uh, get through this whole whole challenge. And I suppose, and also to kind of give out the message that, you know what, life can be tough. And, you know, we've been talking about COVID an awful lot this morning on the, on the show, PJ, and it's been a challenge for everyone. But you know what? You can make the best out of situations as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's why I put it together. And I called it Mom on the Run because I think it's reflective of every mom in the country that we're constantly running and racing, trying to juggle it, juggle it all. Mm-hmm. And I suppose really it's a case of, you know, focusing on the essential things and eliminating an awful lot of the non-essential yeah. And the kind of the distractions that come into our lives, taking, taking then, joy from small things, which we've focused on so much during the during the COVID. Where can we get absolutely. it, Lorraine? It's available online through lettertech.com, who are the publishers, and all of the profits, as I said, when um, from the book, will go directly to Temple Street, and they go directly into the unit that looks after Harry. Right. Have you a particular favourite quote that you'd share with us? 
Do you know what? I have many, many quotes, but there's one, I suppose, that's really um, resonates with me because I suppose it's something that I can really identify with. And I suppose it's it's a, a quote by Angela Swint. While we try to teach our children all about life, our children teach us what life is all about. And I definitely think that. I think I have learned as a mom so much from my boys mm-hmm. and in particular from Harry. Mm-hmm. And I suppose if you flick through the book, you'll, you'll see I kind of refer to about playing like when you're a child, you know, and that's something that I really identify with because when you watch a child playing, they're totally focused on what they're doing. They're completely in the moment and they're not distracted by anything else that's, that's right. around them. That's right. And so as we adults, envy them that, don't we? We all time need to, to do. Time. So we need do. To give, we give do. me that one again before we leave. It's um, while we try to teach our children all about life, our children teach us what life is all about. I love it, Lorraine. Good luck with the book. Thank you very much for being with us. Lorraine Spillane on the Opinion Line, mum of Harry and author of a new book called Mum on the Run. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's do some throwback Thursday today. See how you get on in our throwback quiz. Plus, all the tunes you need to get you through the day at work and a little bit closer to quitting time. See you after the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. Bunch of stuff coming in on all the various comment platforms. I'll get to other matters, but this came in by email. Uh, I'd like to draw your attention to international travel. My husband and I travelled to England in August on the ferry. Again in October, this time we flew into Heathrow. On no occasion entering or leaving either country were we asked to show our vaccine certs. To me, this is a serious oversight, not preventing the importation of the virus into our country. Those in authority, whichever government department is responsible, need to comply with the law as the restaurants and other businesses do. I'd be grateful if you'd read this email on your show. Maybe a Cork-based TD would get this serious situation rectified. God knows there's enough of them in the government. Thanks for that email on opinion at 96fm.ie. Two trips to the UK and not once was their cert checked going in and out of the country. That's a very interesting development indeed to be getting worried about. Morning, PJ. I made the mistake in thinking I was eligible for the extension on renewing my driver's license. However, as my renewal date is the 1st of November, I'm not entitled to the extension because it expires on the 31st of October. I just wanted to highlight it to others. Thanks for that. And Nadim, as you know, we've spoken to Nadim on the programme about his fears of being deported and he's trying to get an answer from the Minister for Justice and the Taoiseach are trying to get permission to stay or leave to remain, as they call it. He's currently on a hunger strike in direct provision. He's been living there for three years. Um, I remember at the start, I asked him, I said, don't go on hunger strike. The only one you're going to hurt is yourself. But he obviously feels that desperately about his situation. He's been on hunger strike now for a week. He's into his eighth day. And we hear that his condition is deteriorating. There's an anti-deportation rally scheduled to take place outside the Department of Justice in Dublin at 2 o'clock tomorrow. And one more in this batch. There's lots of stuff coming in. Ken O'Flynn was on, Councillor Ken O'Flynn, to say there's a dead pony on the Blarney Road. Very upsetting to see it. He's asked Cork City Council to remove it ASAP. 
He also asks, what's wrong with society when this is allowed to happen and there are no consequences? 1850 715 Limerick, uh, former Limerick GA legend, three-time All-Ireland star, uh, All-Star, um, has said that effectively the GA is awash with cocaine. He says it's in every club and it's at frightening levels. And this might not be a popular thing to say, but it's reality. It's very real. Joined on the opinion line by Kieran Carey. Kieran, good morning. Good morning to you, PJ. I, ho- I hope you're getting the same weather that we're getting down in Limerick at the moment. It's lovely. It's it, it's lovely, and we know that you still have our we you still have our cup on loan, but we'll have, we'll discuss that another day. Um, <laughs> these are strong words, Kieran. Yeah, strong words, and I suppose it's words that's coming from the experience that I'm having myself. I suppose doing workshops in various clubs the last number of years, and I suppose watching watching and experiencing the progression of cocaine definitely in the last two years but very strong in the last 12 months in, in relation to the clients that are coming to me in relation to the workshops that clubs would be looking for in relation to cocaine mm-hmm. and you're, mental health I should explain listen you're a counsellor now you're a um, your company is called My Move It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Counseling, so you see a lot of people in your in your day to day work. One would have thought, Kieran, that people involved in the GA, particularly at high level, thinking of you know intercounty and intermediate and junior, all these guys playing matches all the time, they would be that they'd run a mile from something like cocaine. Yeah, and I suppose at, at intercounty level, you know, they have a lot of structures put in place for any player that might be struggling with whatever issue there might be, you know, you have the GPA and other organisations, but I suppose at club level, I suppose it wouldn't be that tight. But I suppose uh, after seeing the, what was highlighted the weekend and basically what I said on the, on the newspaper was has been my experience. 
So that might kind of, you know, I suppose highlighted number one and and I suppose put put things in place in relation to their own clubs, in relation to what they can do going forward in their own workshops and in their own what needs to be done. What have um, you seen? You know, in relation to what what is being reported to you? What have you seen in, in terms of you say that it it's in every little in every small club? It's well and truly alive in every small club. What what have you seen to to evidence that? Yeah, and as I said, as you rightly pointed out, you know I, I'm a counsellor there, but uh, presently with my move, and I also work in Coonvera uh, Brewery Residential Treatment Centre for the last ten uh-huh. years, uh-huh. and. What I've seen really in the last five years, certain clubs that would be looking for little workshops on mental health and, you know, where cocaine is probably sneaking in around the village and possibly in around the GA as well. Uh, but on, on top of that, I suppose, going to matches, you know, my background obviously is in GA and I'm still heavily involved in GA. And even if it's going to club matches or inter-county matches, you're always going to be meeting people. And, you know, it's been highlighted and highlighted, uh, you know, in, in, at every match that I go to and in relation to, you know, the messages even that were coming through, through Facebook and into my move, you know, I got one there during the week, believe it or not now, and to the county up in Tyrone that are, are looking for a workshop uh, in a certain club and a school. So that's only one little incident, but, you know, it's rippling through most counties in the last two to three years. And how is it manifesting itself when it comes to you or indeed your colleagues in in Brewery? Well, obviously, the colleagues in Brewery, Coonvera Brewery is a resident, residential treatment centre for addiction. So it's manifesting itself when they're coming for an assessment. That's kind of pretty self-evident and no different in my move on a day, on a day-to-day basis. You know, myself personally, I specialise in addiction myself. But we've other counsellors actually on site that will deal with whatever issues they may present, whether it is you yeah. know, bereavement, whether it's depression, whether it's low self-esteem, bullying, eating disorders, or whatever that may be. But I see a huge lift in the last year with the, the amount of clients that are coming and from the various codes that are playing, whether it is a bit of soccer, a bit of hurling, a bit of football, from various clubs. So, you know, and it's, it's just a huge sign that it's highlighting it. And and it isn't it isn't getting any any easier. Like addiction in itself, you know, is a disease, and it's going yeah. to be progressive. That's the nature of it. And I suppose the pre-COVID or the post-COVID, you know, I often say this, you know, it doesn't take bank holidays. And you know, in its nature, it's actually it's like little steps to the stairs. When you started, you know, you think I suppose you're only dabbling, and you know, it might be in the pub, it might be in the disco. But inevitably, if you stay at Dublin for five, six, seven years, you know, you end up taking it home in the bedroom on your own. Yeah. So it's, you know, you know, and... and it reels you, know, you in, it, it's problem. insidious and it winds you in. You said in the past does, year you've seen uh, a change. Do you think then that lockdown and the restrictions may have played a part? Well, I suppose it's very easy to catapult yourself into that thinking. And without a doubt, yeah, it definitely has played a part because I suppose the three lockdowns, they were kind of very different in in and itself. And I suppose the first one was kind of, you know, people were kind of getting used to it. And, you know, it's 
nice to be at home working from home and the second one they were doing a lot of flowering and a lot of walking and the third one in my opinion appeared to be the one that probably hit him the most but and I suppose definitely didn't help number one but either way the progression and the illness of addiction as I said a while ago in its nature it's a progressive disease either way whether COVID is there or not yes. if you're dabbling and if you and if you stay at dabbling eventually it will lock onto you yeah yeah, it's 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 insidious and and it gets you. And I know that from your work with with Brewery, you'll do our a good friend of the show, Michael Gearan. So please do give Michael our regards when you're speaking with him, and good luck in your own work, uh, Kieran. Kieran Carey, uh, former Limerick uh, hurler and now a counsellor with uh, My Move Counselling, and indeed involved with uh, Coonley Brewery. Um, it's in every club in the country. Cocaine. What he's saying. Not something you want to be hearing, but hey, we're we're not we're not above um, telling uncomfortable truths on this program. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. So I clear as many messages as I can before I go to another break because we're we're very busy. Yeah, on boosters, I'm I'm forty three. I got my booster vaccine two weeks ago. I do have an underlying condition, but I was still surprised that my parents haven't been done yet. Uh, my eight-year-old, who's living with diabetes, when she's eventually done, that's when I'll relax again. Pat got his booster shot last Saturday in City Hall. Why aren't the HSE releasing the figures for the number of vaccinated and unvaccinated in the daily cases? Shouldn't the WHO have standards or best practice in these things? Well, uh, it was Professor Kingston Mills, who was on the opinion line with me last week, um, who said that. He said it would be useful to know from a research point of view, it would be very useful to know on a day-to-day basis the cases released to us of an evening. You know, we get a 1,300 or 2,300 as it was of the day. How many of those people were vaccinated? It would be very useful to know that, Kingston Mills was saying to us last week. Also, he said for deeper research, would we'll be interested to know, and we can we can all, it's all there, it's all written down on the little card you got, what vaccine did they get? So we could then research more into the waning of the strength of the vaccine and according to age group and according to cohort and according to that. So that's, that's true, caller, and people way above my pay grade are asking for that information from the HSE every day. And on... Uh, where do I? Kate says the figures speak for themselves. 65% is an ICU unvaccinated. That's not fair on the people who lose out with other ailments. If it gets worse, we just have to get it done. I had quite a strong reaction to my first vaccine. It was unpleasant, but I did it and I got the second jab because it's the only way we get out of this. In Australia, it's no jab, no job. In most circumstances, I would support anyway of making that happen here. Gary then says, speaking about Tim Brosnan yesterday, good man, Tim, for telling PJ COVID certs aren't the answer. People think they're fine because they're a cert. It's rubbish and everyone knows it. That's why they shouldn't be supported. Well, Gary, that's not making the miss, missing the point so much as twisting the point. Uh, what Tim was saying was just because you have a vaccine cert doesn't mean you're immune. It means you're vaccinated. That's all. Hi PJ, I know we have to be careful, but we have to open up and start living our lives as it's nearly two years taken from us. The COVID is going to be around for years, so it's a case of open and shut, get the vaccine and move on. What's the alternative? Says Mike from Mallow. To my knowledge, you don't need a search to go into a hotel. 
over the weekend. We're going to have people from literally all over the world staying in Cork. I suppose the ones coming from abroad should be checked at the airport. Although after Dr. Houlihan yesterday, we all know that isn't foolproof. But we'll have people from all over the island. Surely it makes no sense at all. You can't have a coffee without showing your cert. I'm not sure what applies to hotels across the Jazz Weekend. Do you need, because you didn't initially, do you need a, a vaccine pass to go into a hotel for a drink or a bite to eat? Do you need a vaccine pass to stay at a hotel? You didn't in the summertime. I don't know whether you do now. Maybe someone can check that one for me. Frank says a DJ in a club can play Aslan. Everyone can dance and COVID will let you alone. Put the, put a Christy and the lads on the same stage and you can't dance because COVID will know you and get you. It's laughable, says Frank. And on the no jab, no job thing, have you heard of a creative workaround that some potential employers are using? When meeting a prospective employee for the first time, they do so at a venue that definitely asks and checks certs before they can get in. <laughs> That's clever. So I'm looking to employ someone and I can't ask them whether they've been vaccinated or not. Not allowed. Stupid, but I'm, I'm not, right? But I can say, right, we'll, we'll, do them. we'll go for lunch. And I bring them to a place where I know they're going to have their past checked. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, I love that. Sneaky, sneaky, but so cool. And Kieran Kerry was back just to say if anyone needs to contact My Move Counseling and Addiction Services, he has a number for you. It's 061-639-010. 061-639-010. Pat says, is that why the players are told don't go outside the white line? For goodness sake. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. <laughs> Serious subject, though. Serious subject. Cork City will be in lockdown by the 5th of November after all of the scum that will come out the COVID Jazz Festival 2021. I don't know where that message came from. It just dropped on my screen. People are predicting another lockdown. Well, let me tell you straight out. I Back in March of 2020, I said lockdown was inevitable. Last October, I would have said lockdown was inevitable and we would end up there. If we end up in lockdown this time, it's a massive failure on everyone's part. Can't happen again. Cannot happen again. I don't want it to happen again at all. I really hope we're doing the right thing at the moment. 1850-715-996. I was talking to a man who has been working in security on building sites in Cork and he claimed that there are acts of extortion taking place on these sites. For the purpose of the conversation, we're calling him Seamus. Seamus, what you're about to tell me were your observations of what happened while you were working security on building sites. That's correct, yes, PJ. So, So you were in your hut one day at a particular site, what did you see? Uh, so a gentleman pulls up in um, in a van, uh, parks maybe 15 metres away from the hut, um, and proceeds to just uh, sit there staring at me 
drilling holes into me for maybe an hour and a half, two hours, without um, without moving or going anywhere. Never made any attempt to to approach you or speak to you? No, he didn't make any attempt to approach me or speak to me, no. But uh, this this is this will be very unusual behaviour. No one's ever parked so close. No one, it's not a, it's not a uh, so it's not a car park this particular area, so there'll be no reason for anyone to park there. Right. But this guy, obviously, I could, I kind of felt his intentions, if you know what I mean. You felt he was there staring you down. Yeah. Um, so I talked to other colleagues about this, and uh, apparently, it's it's reasonably, it's not uncommon for this. Um, it's a it's a scare tactic, I, I believe. So it had happened to other colleagues. Um, yeah, it has happened to another colleague of mine. And that was on one site, and then you got an account, was it, from somebody of something similar happening on another site? Uh, yeah, when I mentioned it to a colleague of mine, um, he told me that uh, he'd been talking to a member of the, um, a member of the, another building site, let's say an upper uh, sort of management, and uh, he'd been told that on this other building site, um, there were payments being made already to uh, a group. Right. Now, again, we're being very careful. We're not going to identify anybody, but the allegation was, I think, that, like you said, round envelopes being paid to certain individuals to ensure that gear, tools, equipment would be safe. Uh, yeah, and personnel as well, I, I would reckon, because the security guard is there overnight by himself. Um so um, I would imagine that uh, guaranteeing the, the safety of uh, personnel would be a big part of it as well. And without telling me either site, the one where you were stared down by the individual in the car and where your colleague told you payments were taking place, I would know both those sites well, would I? Uh, yeah, you would know them well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I believe it's like a it's a bit of an open secret in the security world um, that lots of different places are getting um, shut down, not just building sites, but um, uh, it's it's a common tactic. Right. So so the message to you, as a security guard, and to any other security guard from clearly this individual in the car was, keep your mouth shut and your head down. You're seeing nothing. That was the message being communicated to you. You think? Um, well, I I think the message was uh, pass this up to upper management, uh, pass this up to your boss because um, I'm not going away and uh, people have to pay me, kind of thing. Right. Um, so I think that's probably what the message was. I mean, um, I, and I did pass that up to my boss, and I presume he talked to the to the developer of the site, and I have no idea what happened after that. You were fairly certain that there there is money changing hands on building sites to protect equipment and protect tools. That, that's your firm belief? Um, that is my firm belief, yeah, PJ. Um, it, would just, it would just be common sense, I think. Uh, and obviously that's going to have a knock-on, as you know yourself, it's going to have a knock-on um, effect on house prices because um, even a medium building site can go on for maybe a year, two years, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, so if, if it's a weekly or monthly payment, yeah. I think that thing, that's going to like. You said that someone told you that there was money changing hands. Did you get any indication as to what kind of sums of money? 
No, I didn't. No, no. I have no idea what kind of sums of money. I suppose let's just say it wasn't 50 quid. No, it wasn't. No, no. I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine it would, it would be reasonably substantial. If you think of how much property prices are at the moment, I would say it's a reasonable cut of that. I'm assuming you don't know if the guy that you've been made aware of this or... Well, um, I... I have no idea, really, but I'm not sure the guy can do a whole lot about it. Yeah, I suppose they have enough to be—they have enough to be doing. Seamus, thank you for speaking to me. I appreciate we're caging our language very carefully. Um, subsequently, our own investigations since you came to us have revealed to us that there is certainly something going on. We're looking into it further. But thanks for speaking to me. Yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure, PJ. I wish you well. Thank you. Okay, thanks, PJ. Have a nice day. That's Seamus. We contacted the Construction Industry Federation in Cork. They say they're unaware of any incidents of extortion in Cork, although they're aware of it happening in other locations around the country. So it is, as they say, a thing, even though the CIF say they haven't heard of it happening in Cork. We'll come back to this, should it be necessary. 1850 Lovely clip um, of a television programme called Young Line from many, many years ago. Have a listen. Ten seconds to air. Nine, eight, seven, Coming six, eight on two. five, four, three, Stand by, running. two, to cure. one, seven. seven. Take two and cure. Here is the news. Nine-year-old Kate Cotter from Douglas and Cork visited the Young Line Studios in Dublin in Donnybrook today. Alton introduced her to Anne Doyle who helped realise her ambition. For some time, Kate has... Fergal shared that clip with me at the weekend and said, wouldn't it be great if we could find her? Well, we did. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Well, that nine-year-old newsreader from Youngline, is now a lecturer in broadcast production at the University of the West of Scotland. Kate Cotter, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Nice to speak to you. Lovely to catch up with you. Um, that was a, just a wonderful piece and we said we'd be great if we could, if we could find it. You, you continued the dream then. <laughs> well, it's funny because I did. I ended up going up to uh, Dublin City University and doing a master's in film and TV studies. I'd been in UCC before that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't become a newsreader. Um, I think I, once I hit the world of debating and social and speaking in public in university, I realised I wasn't really for the news, probably because I have too many opinions of my own and I wouldn't behave myself <laughs> as well as Anne Doyle did so beautifully over the years and Charles Mitchell and all the other amazing newsreaders we've had in Ireland. Yeah. And so I thought instead I'd probably be more suited to production and uh, having an opinion <laughs> and making making programmes. Yeah. So that's that's what I, I moved into. Sitting, sitting on the other side of the glass trying to keep tabs on people like me. You'd have been... Well, sorry, Kate? I'm sure your production team were all nodding vigorously. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were, if you want, an early campaigner for, for women in media, even though you didn't... You didn't know it and, and attracting people, young people into this old job that we all love so much. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's a very different playing field I, at the time. Um, I mean, I, I think it's still very much the case that, you know, to get into places like RTE, it's very competitive. And, you know, yes, RTE advertise positions in their career section, but don't hold your breath. And people from places like Cork, you know, when we don't have connections, we don't have people in the families in the business and that kind of thing. It is definitely harder to break in. Um, and I think it's it's different now for young people because there's two ways in. There's the traditional route, which is trying to uh, work freelance, trying to get work experience with, with organizations. But there's also the amazing opportunity now to create your own content. Mm-hmm. And that's a, gr- a great way really to kind of prove your worth is that even while you're not working in the industry as such, you can be making mm-hmm. content which will be, you know, usable or show people who you are and that then they might invest in your future with you. Well, we'd frequently have guests on the opinion line, Kate, uh, whose content we have discovered on other platforms, mm-hmm. do you know? So it yes, is a real opening for people. It is, it's fantastic, yeah. And the skill levels, the things they learn to do in their teens, we're looking at them going, heck, who taught you to do that? They taught themselves. It's a, it's a very different world from, from your days in young life. It really is. I mean, what, what's great now, any of us, I mean, in, in lockdown, I think we all discovered that we could still, I, I certainly was still making short films at, for um, arts organizations and people like that in lockdown on my mobile phone, you know, editing on my phone, filming on my phone, mm. maybe adding a few attachments, but basically a, a phone, you know, you can prop it up against a milk bottle if you need to. You can still, you can still make a great story. Mm. Uh, regardless of, of what, what your uh, circumstances are. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in Ireland now there's so much, there's so much being made. There's so many great ways to get into the industry. There's lots of opportunities for people. And, uh, you know, the, the old idea of it, it being a kind of a glass ceiling, I think, is gone. Definitely that's the case for women. Um, I would say I have had, as everyone has had over the years, some experiences where I was the only female on a crew or I turned up somewhere to film and people were like, where's the cameraman? And like you're looking at you're looking at her, <laughs> but that's definitely changed quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. What well, what's the best route then? Do they try to study journalism in university, or do they just focus on creating content and pick up smaller courses here and there? What would be your advice? Um, well, I mean, it, it's it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because it depends on what people really want to do. If they want to make, do they know? If they know what they want to do. You know, it's an easier route if you know you want to make dramas and fiction. um, You know, you can that's you can start by making short films. I mean, that's what you know. Even people like Spielberg did. You can see still see his first film he made with a train set on YouTube. Um, But if it's something like someone who wants to really tell stories and make factual, make make content like documentaries or news, um, I think again people can be creating their own content. But you can you can go in not just with a degree. Yes, you can go and get a degree in production, which is what people like I people like me did and what my students are doing now. But you could also become an expert in another area and use that expertise. So if you look at things like natural history on television, those people haven't come from a TV production degree background. They've come from biology and zoology and mm. veterinary studies. So if people have a passion they can take that with them in, into the industry. We, the industry needs to be full of specialists. We want people who know about science or engineering yeah. or history, yeah. as well as people who know how to work a camera. Indeed, indeed. Do you get back to Cork much, Kate? 
Um, I do. I mean, obviously, lockdown has changed that a bit, but I do. I, who who couldn't? Who wouldn't miss Cork? You know. <laughs> Listen, great to catch up with you, uh, and lovely to speak to Kate Cotter, lecturer in broadcast production at University of West of Scotland, former young line broadcaster of many years ago on RTE. Get in there, do your own stuff, and literally barge your way in. I think is what she's saying. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Quick reminder to you as part of Irish Music Month this October in association with Hot Press, Cork's 96FM is committed to supporting and discovering new Irish music. This Sunday from 6 on the Select Irish Show, it's the final of the Cork's 96FM Local Hero Talent Search. We had a huge entry for this, really high quality. The finalists are Helen Murray, T23, Fintan McCahey, Conor O'Keefe and Mally. And they're going to battle it out for a place in the national final against 24 other acts. The overall national winner of the competition gets €5,000. They'll have their single recorded by Ruby Works Records and guaranteed radio and play on radio play on 25 stations across Ireland. Now you can hear the Cork's 96M finalists performing live from Cypress Avenue this Sunday from 6 then we'll reveal the winner. It's Irish Music Month on Cork's 96 FM, supported by the BAI Sound and Vision Fund and XL Retail, offering a great deal more at your local store. 1850-715-996. Message on WhatsApp. You see, this is out there. This is happening. And we're being told for a reason. If you're not feeling right, stay at home and maybe get an antigen test if you're not feeling right. PJ, I was just in a shop in Cork. There was a man looking at clothes there, masked down, and he was on the phone telling whoever he was talking to how sick he felt. He was coughing, he had a sore throat, he was sneezing, he had aches and pains, all the symptoms you could think of. I turned and left. There isn't any much more that you can do. Actually, I might chat with Fiona before we finish the programme today because Fiona herself took an antigen test during the week because there is a nasty chest infection going around and a lot of people have it. Fiona had had it earlier in the week, took an antigen test for safety's sake, so maybe we'll, uh, we'll find out how it went for her before we finish today. But I want to talk first to Jennifer Collin from Aherla as part of preparation for Mercy Heroes which is on tomorrow, Friday October 22nd. Hi Jennifer uh, Good morning to you, welcome to the Opinion Line Tell me about Alex well, Alec, I think we were one of the first families actually to avail of the prune service, which Alex is nine at the moment. So when she was one, she was diagnosed with a very unusual rare blood disorder. Mm. So she needed a bone marrow transplant in the UK, which she had at four. So our journey started when she was one. So that would mean that the prunes, the nurses from the Mercy would come out to our house to Alex would have had a Hickman line which would for taking bloods and different treatments. So they would have come out to our house to yeah. clean the line, take the bloods from the line, do various 
procedures to prevent dust from going into the hospital. Yeah, because the poons, I should probably explain it before I went over Sorry, to you. Yeah. No, it's okay. It's my fault. It's the it's the Paediatric Oncology Outreach Nursing Service, which let, the nurse can come to you rather than you having to go in into hospital and that that saves all sorts of problems doesn't it and and of course mercy heroes day is to fund poons like what difference would it be in your life if you didn't have poons well to us i also alex also has a big brother so when she was diagnosed initially rian would have been three so you have a one-year-old and a three-year-old so i my husband is working i was working so you're taking you know your whole day revolves around going to the hospital you know, and you take your two children to the hospital with you. But whereas with the girl, when Olga and Peg would come out to our house, it would mean you're sitting at home in the sitting room. Her her big brother is playing. She's she's oblivious really to what's going on because they're chatting to her. They're taking her blood. They're you know doing what they do. But and she's still in her home environment and not, I suppose in little part not really, really realizing what was going on. Yeah. Because they become part, they become kind of part of your family. So it's Walga's calling, Peg is calling. It's not a big deal, mm. you know. Instead of you're go, you know, you're going into the hospital, and it's 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 a trek for children because yeah, it's not like I mean, yes, she's getting vital medical treatment, but she doesn't have the added, and it's it's probably the wrong word, but the added trauma of a hospital trip. Because when you're yeah, small, it can it is traumatic. It is traumatic, and we still we still Alex is nine now, so unfortunately, her blood still haven't since her transplant haven't being what they should be so we go to the mercy now once a month she gets uh treatment in the mercy once a month it's in you glog it's called ivig yeah so it's a specific treatment for her that she gets but if if need be say tomorrow there was something i need her bloods checked and she couldn't leave the house uh, the girls would still come to my house and say look no bother we'll call, call out and check her bloods you know mm, that's fantastic security and comfort for you as well isn't uh, it it's oh no it's fab it's like it, there'd be days like because with Alex she was so so sick, and there would be days you just you you wouldn't even want to get dressed. You know you're here at home, you have you have two kids. You're going oh my god, you have to get her ready, get her you know into the hospital. Whereas like I there'd be days I'd be often in my pajamas, mm-hmm. and the girls would come and you know you'd be they'd actually sometimes make you a cup of coffee to say look it's grand mm-hmm. it's okay you mm-hmm. know it's, it's so it's a tough it, time for mum too you know. Yeah, it is, and they understand that as well. But it's just, it's 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 amazing. It's and for the siblings, I think as well, because they're 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 there and they they know their sibling is sick. But then they're like, oh, that's okay because she's staying at home, so it's fine. Yeah. You so the, the the house isn't upturned every time Alex's health takes a turn for the worse, which which is important. Oh, it is important because we would have had my son would have woken up some mornings and we we would wouldn't be there. We could be more than likely inside the leukemia unit. We could be there for days or weeks or gone up to Crumlin. Whereas you know that's that's very hard for a sibling. Whereas when you have the girls calling out, it's oh sure she's getting better, sure she's fine. They're not going into the hospital. Yeah, yeah. It costs an awful lot of money for the Mercy Hospital Foundation to keep poons going, doesn't it? Oh, thousands. And that's why, like, every year we do something every year for the for the poons. And this year, the same thing. And because of COVID, the last couple of years, it's preventing so many coffee mornings. You know, so it's... And that's where the funds, they don't, they're not getting the funds. Yeah. That 
they should be getting well, yeah. because of COVID. Yeah, we, we had a similar issue this year and uh, with, with Radiothon trying to get stuff organised for people so we know and of course Mercy Hospital Foundation are partners on that. It was very hard. People still went to great effort. Just looking at the, the figures here, in 2020 the Poons travelled nearly 35,000 kilometres and visited families over 720 times. Wow. Yeah, it's like, it's very hard for some people, you know, to understand what it means to a family because, you know, when you're not in that situation, people mm. just automatically think, you know, you have a sick child, you just go into hospital. But when when you have seriously sick children and like the children that I'll get and pay call out to, they're all seriously sick children. Mm. You know, they don't want to be, a lot of kids, they don't want to be going out with a bald head, which is what my little girl would, would have yeah. said. You know, they, they don't want that. And whereas they're at home, they're playing with their toys it's it's forgotten about for a short time you know it's and something else jennifer of course in the course of the of covid the last thing you wanted is to have her have to bring her out and expose her to infection in the community which would have been inevitable moving her around from place to place oh yeah and that that was that's that would have been a big problem was it a scary time a very scary, very scary time. Like we, with us, Alex, because Alex is still going through treatment, she wouldn't be as vulnerable as other children now. Mm. She still goes into, but you're still, it's constantly in the back of your mind because they're, they don't have an immune system. Yeah. Children like Alex don't have an immune system like you and I. So they're going out and they're walking around and they're coming in contact with so many people. And it's, co- you know, or, and the same going into the hospital environment because you don't know mm. who could pass on to an infection. And if they get an infection, you know, it's, they're not going to heal as well as, you know, most of us. Yeah. Well, listen, continued uh, success with her treatment. And indeed, thanks for speaking to us today about Mercy Hospital Foundation's Mercy Heroes Day. Uh, Friday, October 22nd. Thank you very much, Jennifer, uh, mother of Alex Madden, who's nine years of age and a user of the Poons service. Uh, Mercy Heroes Day is set up to fund Poons Paediatric Oncology Outreach Nursing Service. Basically, the cancer nurse visits the young patient at home and it costs them 30,000 a year to keep the service going and if you want to donate you'll find all the information at www.mercyhospitalfoundation.ie Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The Two Grand Minute. is Cork's biggest breakfast cash giveaway. Yes. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. On Cork's 96FM. <laughs> Answer 10 questions. Trolls getting in on the act this morning. That's all right, lads. You know what? You can go and shout at the moon on you want. We'll deal with the public health experts at the World Health Organization and others. That just uh, and there's a particularly nasty kind of trolling, uh, according to the Echo this morning. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Very nasty trolling of schools 
I'll tell you about it in a while. But I, I mentioned this one morning during the summer, particularly beautiful morning as I was driving in. There was a plethora of scooters, e-scooters. I was seeing them coming in Douglas Road and I was seeing them coming up Grand Parade and loads of them. There was scooting around on them. Lovely morning for it. But I just thought, first of all, they're supposed to be illegal. And secondly, are they are they safe? Turns out now they're about to become legal on the open road. Government has drawn up the legislation. And it, we're only a matter of weeks or months away from a time when just like you can get a, a Coca-Cola bike, you can get a, an e-scooter to borrow to trot around town for however long you wanted. Adrian Wechter is tech editor of the Irish Indo and joins me now. Adrian, this has been coming for a while, uh, but what exactly will people be able to do? Are they going to be fully legal on the open road now? Good morning. Basically, yeah, good morning. Basically, they will. Yeah, so as you say, up to now, they've been kind of in limbo. And limbo is a kind word because they haven't been legal. Up to now, e-scooters have essentially been legally classed as motorbikes. So legally, if you wanted to ride one around town, you would have to have a motorbike license, insurance and tax, a tax disc. But there wasn't really any way to to tax it. So it was, it was kind of a weird scenario. And mostly Gardaí uh, just didn't pay much notice to them. Uh, technically, I think they were supposed to seize them or intervene in some way. And they, they mostly, and that's why most listeners to this show will probably have seen e-scooters whizzing around the place. And because they're not regulated properly up to now, they'll kind of zip, you know, in and out of paths and roads, cycle lanes. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a wild west scenario mm. with them at the moment. Um, now, some people are very responsible. They're out and they'll, you know, uh, they ride them safely uh, on the road, etc. What's happened now is that the government has said, right, look, people are using these things. They are actually a decent and usable alternative to cars for people who, for whatever reason, don't feel that they can use a bike. Because a lot of cyclists will say, well, why don't you just use a bike? Mm. And some people say, look, I don't like to cycle uh, around town. That's just not what I like to do. So this is an alternative to that. And the government says, well, okay, we're going to put these on a legal footing so they won't be classified as motorbikes. You won't need all of that stuff to use one. We haven't yet seen the detail of what you will need mm-hmm. um, or or whether there will be things like uh, you know, age requirements. I don't think there will be because you don't need, I don't think there's an age requirement for a bike. Um, so essentially, these you're going to start seeing a lot more of these things and the main knock-on effect is that commercial companies Mm. with rental fleets are now going to come in so cork for example is one of the cities that is going to start seeing companies like lime bird and maybe uh free now which is the company formerly known as halo Mm. other companies like that are going to bid for the contract to run you know hundreds maybe thousands Mm. of e-scooters yeah, because then we had already had the yeah. Coke bikes, so now we're going to get the something else yeah. scooters, right? Exactly. Yeah, and the idea there is that you 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 rock up to one, you'll have an account maybe, and you unlock it with your phone, for example, and it typically, like say, costs say a euro to unlock it, and maybe you know twenty cents per minute after that, or something like that. They're different charging models depending on which brand is in operation. This is quite common in European cities. It's quite common in in U.S. cities. So that's on the way. 
Mm. The safety concerns with them, Adrian. I mean, as I said, my when I remarked driving in of a morning in the summertime was, you know, they're great if you want to use them off with yeah. you, but are they actually safe? Yeah, well, the, one of the main safety issues, there are two safety issues. One is the safety to the rider themselves. So, you know, how many accidents do they cause? How many accidents are people getting into? Interestingly, there was one study done in a Dublin hospital where they looked specifically at people who had been admitted um, due to e-scooter accidents. And I think there were there were 22 significant injuries that they recorded. Um, but that's that's the riders themselves. The other concern, obviously, would be people around you. So if a scooter is zipping up and down on the path, you know, what is the danger to pedestrians, for example? What is the danger to other people using that path or using uh, the road? Now, some of the companies have come up with solutions for that. Tier, for example, actually most of them have this uh, on board, where the the e-scooter has a kind of, in layman's term, a kind of a GPS map on board, and it knows where the path is or where the road is. And it knows the zones in the town or the city that it's not allowed to activate, to, to, to be active in. So when it enters one of those zones, it automatically turns off. Oh, that's high right. tech. Yeah. It, it's, very, it's very high tech. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. That kind of technology is around. And for this kind of a system to gain public acceptance as being safe for other users of the road, they do sort of have to have something like this mm. Um yeah, on board. And um, the, the the last safety issue, if, if I might just, is yeah. when these rental fleet companies come in, one of the problems that other cities have in Europe and the US, you see them littered around paths and you're stumbling over them sometimes. Yeah. And people like wheelchair users, for example, people with um, uh, who have sight difficulties, uh, it, it can be a problem for them. So they'll have to regulate that as well. In other countries where they are more commonplace, are they an ease to traffic, traffic congestion? Is there any evidence... Of that, uh, I, I think there's no question that they are. Um, I don't have, you know, a report or anything mm. uh, to hand. I'm sure the companies themselves do. But it, look, it just does stand to reason that if, say, in, in a city of, say, you know, two hundred thousand people, uh, one hundred fifty thousand people, something around the size of Cork, if a thousand people start using e-scooters overnight, that's a thousand people less likely to use a car or maybe take public transport mm-hmm. um uh, you know so so yes um is the answer and to be fair i mean for for all the criticizing you know we sometimes do of the likes of e-scooters that is a pretty useful public mm. policy goal well, no, I, I love the look of them I, I think i'd be afraid of my life I, I did try one i tried one on television one time I drove one yeah. across the RTE Today show studio and stopping was a problem, but I'm sure I'd learned that very, very quickly. Now, can I just can I just say that you were across the studio, so the the floor was nice and smooth, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the big problems I have found with these scooters, because I've tested loads of them, the quality of the roads. So on a bike, if you're on a cycle lane and a road, some bits of road are okay, some bits are bad, but you can generally bear it on a bike. On an e-scooter, when you hit a bad bit of road, it is terrible. You mm. feel it right up and down your spine. The suspension isn't as good as it is on most bikes. Actually, they're just, a, me, skate, they're a, just a skateboard with an engine and a handle, as far as I can see. Basically, yeah. Lastly, Adrian, I don't think the cycling fraternity are too happy with them sharing their lanes. I know. <laughs> Get ready for this culture war. Anybody who's on social media will already be somewhat aware of the culture wars 
between cyclists and motorists. Well, this is another branch of that culture war. Um, cyclists do not like the idea of e-scooters, you know, sharing, quote unquote, their cycle lanes. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the main objection is. Maybe some of your listeners might um, be able to enlighten you on that. I would genuinely be interested as I'm collecting uh, views on this. Mm. But um, but yeah, there is a sort of a hierarchy on the road. When I was using an e-scooter, <clears throat> I found there was a hierarchy. So cars look down on cyclists. And cyclists tend to look down on e-scooters as well. I don't really know why, but they do. All right, Adrian. Thanks very much. Adrian Wechter, tech editor of the Irish Independent, on the next phase of the e-scooter. Do you know I'm thinking in the, in the summertime there, when I come in on the bus in the mornings, I get off the bus at Grand Parade. We end in handy. Give us have a little scooter up here to 96FM rather than have to walk. I know I'm lazy. Don't even go there. 1857-15996. That bit of trolling I was telling you about. Anne Murphy has a piece in the Echo today. The number of staff at primary schools have received letters threatening them they could be stripped of their homes or their cars or other assets unless they do the right thing about public health restrictions, which effectively means ignore them. They are, the Echo has seen a couple of these, Anne Murphy. They've been sent by a group calling itself the Common Law Court of Era. And the letters say, Failure by you in your duty of care to students by imposition or allowing of face coverings, segregation, hand sanitising, social distancing, COVID testing, temperature taking, vaccines, or any policies which result in harmful outcomes for students will incur liabilities on the enforcer, facilitator, or advocate. And the group says failure to adhere to its requests could lead to a court trial and a freezing of assets. This is going around to schools signed by this crowd. That's what you do when you get one of those into a nearby bin. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. On e-scooters, just listening to you talking about e-scooters, I can't believe they've been just brought in like this. No insurance, no tax, all for them, but rules need to be brought in. I missed hitting an e-scooter rider by an inch. She flew out across the road, hood up, no looking, earphones in. I blew out my tyre, swerving to avoid hitting her. Her answer was, Ara, claim off your insurance. You see, there is that question. And as Adrian was explaining, Adrian Wechter, they used to be classed as a kind of a motorbike. And you had to kind of, you were, shouldn't have had them on the road without tax or insurance. Now they're not classed as a motorbike. They're classed as a, a different kind of a vehicle. Uh, they're a class of a thing called a PPT, a Powered Personal Transporter. And they won't require the same licensing, insurance or tax. But I just wonder what people think. Like, these are motorised vehicles. They're very handy motorised vehicles. But should they be taxed? Should they have to be insured? Like, if you're on one of these things and you bump into a car and damage the car, more likely to damage yourself, but you know yourself, if someone has to swerve out of the way for you because you drive out in front of them, 
Like, should you have an insurance policy? I'm not saying people pay hundreds of pounds or hundreds of euros. Just Should there be some kind of insurance on them? Should there be some kind of tax on them? Because you are, after all, using the roads. Just, just throwing it out there. Would you use one? Is the next question. I would like that idea when I'm coming in in the summertime, coming on the bus. Uh, I'd love just zooming up the road to get in here. I'd, I'd like that, all right. That'd be nice. Pick it up at the dock. And, I'd like that. The roads are quiet that time of the morning. I couldn't do any harm to anyone. But what would you think? Eh? 1850-715-996. Reminded to you, the Premier League is back this Saturday on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh. Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage of Chelsea versus Norwich City at 1230 Crystal Palace against Newcastle United at three. Brighton against Manchester City at half past five. The Premier League live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. And listen Saturday at 96fm.ie or the Cork's 96fm app. And the app, by the way, is the first place that you'll find our podcast of an afternoon. It's usually available to you in or around the half to quarter to three mark full, full podcast of the opinion line and we also put up podcast extras of certain interviews and content in the show 1850 715 one last one uh, for now morning PJ what I don't understand is why there's no talk about herd immunity wasn't it all the talk previously especially now that 90% plus are vaccinated well you see it was not really it's 90% of those over 12. It's not 90%. There's loads of children and they're not vaccinated yet. There's, was it, um, one of the doctors on me earlier on this morning was saying that actually there's so many people not vaccinated because A, they can't be, or B, they've refused to be. Children can't be just yet. So there's all the children under 12 are not being vaccinated yet. And then you have the 12 to 30 year olds who are, uh, so on the verge of not being Vaccinated. He also the Delta the Delta variant really put a tin hat on herd immunity. Unfortunately, it really kicked herd immunity's ass. For now, at least, um, those ninety percent figures would have been great if it wasn't for Delta. And I think it was John Campbell, the great John Campbell, uh, who explained that to us on the program in one of his interviews. Like we were all going well until Delta changed the game, unfortunately. But anyway, get back to the message. Also, I don't like hearing about making it more difficult socially for the unvaccinated. Isn't it a fact that hospitals were in trouble before the pandemic? Anyway, these are my thoughts. Hats off also to all of the orchid rooms at CUH. I had my yearly mammogram yesterday, just a few months overdue. HSE got that right, glad to say. Have a good weekend and thank you, says Josephine. And Josephine... Thank you. 1850-715-996. Scooters. How do we know that the scooters or their drivers have any idea of the rules of the road? Have their driving licenses? Do they even know the red light from the green light? Yield right away. Are they subject to the rules of the road? Well, cyclists are subject to the rules of the road. They are. And we've had the rules of the road changed as motorists to take into account the rights of cyclists. So one would expect that those on an e-scooter would have to have some knowledge of the rules of the road as well. I spoke over the summer to Anais O'Donovan about the sport of kayaking. All of the fabulous water sport people coming out of West Cork 
And at the time I spoke to Ines, she was preparing to head off to the European Championships of Kayaking, a sport she only took up a couple of years ago. How did that go for you, Ines? Good morning again. Hi, good morning. Um, Yeah, it was quite a success, to be honest. I'm just home from Paris with a couple of weeks there. And honestly, delighted to say that I came 10th in Europe, which completely surpassed any and all expectations I had of myself. It was such an incredible experience to be paddling with some of the best of the best in the world out there. Remind us again, like, this is something you only took up a couple of years ago. Yeah, so I started kayaking three years ago, and that was mainly just, like, from the first day getting into the boat, learning how to roll it, and then progressed on to a bit of whitewater. And then I sparked an interest with freestyle kayaking. It's quite similar to gymnastics, and with my background in gymnastics, I decided to give it a go. So about three years I've been kayaking in total. And to be 10th in Europe after three years. A lot of hard work went into it, but a lot of enjoyment. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So so what's the next plan? So the next plan is uh, the World Championships are being held over in Nottingham in the UK uh, over the summer. So I'm currently, well, I'm actually leaving tomorrow to go to Nottingham to go training for a week uh, just while we're on midterm. Um, I'll come home I'm hoping to move up towards Galway direction so I'll still be working in West Court three days a week and then I'll hopefully be living in Galway for four to be training Right, you're kind of moving with the better training circumstances now are you? Exactly so because the rain is coming in throughout the winter there's a feature that only comes up in the winter so that's why I'm heading up towards um, the West Coast if that makes sense Mm. Have you Olympic ambitions for 2023 or is your particular brand of kayaking an Olympic sport yet? No, freestyle kayaking is not an Olympic discipline, unfortunately. And maybe if it was, we might be able to, it might be a bit more accessible to people. But um, at the moment, it's not an Olympic discipline, unfortunately. Yeah. How popular is it with women uh, kayaking? Freestyle kayaking, um, it's growing an awful lot. Uh, this year we had uh, the first time I ever had two senior females um, in a semi-final. Uh, so that was myself and one of my friends. Uh, so that was incredible to see. And we had two junior females and we had a full senior team head over of women this year, which is incredible. It is growing year on year, but there is still a bit of a divide between men and women, unfortunately. But what, it is growing stronger. Is it accessible for women? To, I mean, is, like, is there a club that if, if you wanted to start, you can just go and walk up? You know, is, is, there, is it accessible? Can women get into it? I think it's, I think it's accessible. It, it does involve pushing you out of your comfort zone, but it is accessible. One of um, the athletes, um, David McClure, he actually set up Southeast Freestyle and he did a women's session every week during the summer. And I, two or three of the athletes that went to his, actually, uh, for the senior team, went to the Europeans. And then his juniors also went. He also does it for men and juniors. Um, but the women-only session was a massive hit for him. Yeah. And got an awful lot of women interested in the sport and taking part. Remind us again, Dennis, what's the day job then? So I'm a gymnastics instructor. So I kind of work evenings. But um, yeah, I'm teaching in Skibreen and Bantry Gymnastics Club and just trying to take money where I can and have lots of fun while I'm doing it. So you're teaching one great sport and participating at European level in another? Yes. 
that's it exactly. Well, we look forward to talking <laughs> again. Congratulations on doing so well in Europe. And we might touch base again as you uh, approach the World Championship. Good luck with all the training and with everything else. And uh, good to be speaking to you again on the opinion line. That's N.S. O'Donovan, our 10th in the world European kayaker from West Cork. And she only took it up three years ago. That's fantastic. We'll definitely keep in touch with her as she works towards the World Championship, which is next summer. She's going training for that already. Nice one, Anais. 1850 Hi, PJ. Scooters are probably another one of Eamon Ryan's daft ideas. And the rest of us will have to pay for it. Yeah. Now, we had a lot of talk on the programme about, this morning, about um, antigen testing. Dr. David DeBarrow from the World Health Organisation told us this morning that he is very much in favour of it as part of our armoury in dealing with COVID-19 infection. In fact, he told us that his own children are now self-testing. They have... They're buying pack, packs of tests and they're self-testing if they're going anywhere that they feel they might be at risk or they might cause a risk or there might be a risk of, of transmission. And he said very much so we should get into the era of more antigen testing, um, which is amazing that our own nephew seem quite slow still. There's a bit more going, there's a bit more happening now. They're going to post tests out to people. That doesn't sound very practical. And then Professor Liam Fanning from UCC was talking about the viability of antigen testing and possibly even self-testing. And I remember early in the year, I myself was quite dubious about the idea that you could walk into Aldi and buy a bunch of tests and do them at home on the kitchen table. But there are good approved tests out there now. They're quite good. The results are very reliable and you just have to learn how to use them. You might waste one test in learning how to use them, but they're reliable and they're part of the armory that we have in dealing with this damn thing, which we all hoped would be gone a long time ago, but it stuck with us for the foreseeable. Fiona, you had occasion in the last couple of days to actually do one of these yourself because you've had that blasted chest infection that's going around. Yeah, well, I didn't actually have a chest infection, but I did have a throat infection yeah. and um, a, a cold, and I, I took one of the tests, yeah. And I have to say, um, it was the first time I had taken a, a, an antigen test. Now, I had been for the PCR test as well before, and um, it is really, really easy to use, in fairness. Now, I wouldn't be the best when it comes to <laughs> sticking something up your nose. And um, So it, what, what do you have to do? You literally, there's a, there's a bud and stuff like that. There what is, I, yeah. It's like um, a, a cotton bud, and um, you... In insert that into your nostril and you have to make sure that it's up a fair bit um, that that you know that the, the tip of it is, is right inside the nostril and you turn that around five times and then you do that on each nostril and it only takes a couple of seconds and then you put it into a solution mix and then um, you drop that then onto um, a little kind of a tester device and then you'll see a line that'll come up on it to show that it has been that it has worked and then you have to leave it for 15 to 30 minutes and then you come back and if there's a second line on it then it's um, a positive result and if there's still only the one line on it then it's negative and if it's if there's no line on it at all then it's been an invalid deemed an invalid test it's like waiting for a pregnancy test that's exactly what went through my mind when I was (laughs) because that's what it kind of looks like you know and you're kind of sitting there just waiting anxiously for the result but um, do you know it is easy to use Um, my husband bought one in the local pharmacy and um, I think was it 
four euro for a test or something like mm. that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just for peace of mind, really, isn't it? I mean, mm. I know that it's the time of year, especially if you have children in school where uh, colds and flus are flying around the place. So, um, you know, it's just to have that, have a few at home just to do them just so that you have that mm. peace of mind. Yeah, well, like, would you do it again, say, if, if say, say you're, you're, Charlie's your eldest, isn't mm. it? if he was a bit snuffly now, would you do one on, 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 on him before he send him out or something? <laughs> I'd like to try, yeah. But <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how successful it would be at pinning him down and trying to get it up his nose. But <laughs> The joys of it, huh? I know, yeah, yeah. All right, see, thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually tried one at all um, at, at, any, at any point, but certainly there seems to be a big move now towards self-test. And self-testing is a big thing in the UK. Now, the UK is no pretty picture to look at at the moment with regard to COVID infection. Um, they, they, they've got a problem, a serious problem again, um, as do we, I guess. But they're certainly doing an awful lot more home testing and an awful lot more antigen testing. 1850-715-996. I wonder what you would think of it. Anything else to... Yeah, if there's another lockdown... See, the, uh, the lockdown comments will come in. Neffet have not mentioned anything to do with a lockdown. We're nowhere near a lockdown. But that could change. It's a possibility, not a probability, was what some one commentator was saying last night. If there's another lockdown, people would blame the government. But never mind that. A lot of people will have no self-responsibility and in fact will only have themselves to blame. And they'll blame everyone else but themselves if we find ourselves in the grips of another lockdown, which hope against hope we don't, and I'd be confident we can avoid it. Listen, we have had no word over the last couple of hours about the gigs for the Jazz Festival. As we came to air this morning, Opera House still hadn't said anything. Mick Flannery, who's supposed to be in the Opera House at the weekend, had been on Instagram last night saying they were unsure about their gig and he would hope to update today. We haven't had anything throughout the course of the morning on where we stand with regards to jazz festival gigs. We spoke to Bastien down at the Imperial yesterday. They're going ahead. A lot of the other places are going ahead, waiting on the actual restrictions to come out. But they are whatever rules and regulations are there, but everything seems to be going ahead. But a lot of uncertainty still out there. And bearing in mind that the jazz festival starts tomorrow, we really do need some clarification. Maybe we'll have it by this time uh, tomorrow. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry and we shall see you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance CMIG.ie When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.